week, a guy by the name of Jonathan Harrison was sitting on the couch with his wife, uh, just chilling and watching Netflix when uh, the phone rang. And it was a big uh, deal. Jonathan Harrison is a uh, center. He w- was a center for football, uh, played in the NFL for, for uh, a few years, hasn't played a snap in four years, sitting on the couch with his wife when he gets a call from the Miami Dolphins, we need a center and we want you. <laughs> Jonathan, after four years, um, not in top physical condition, he wasn't wasn't playing, which means um, he, he's, he's probably not the best, uh, but he got a, a call. He didn't think he would ever step foot on another field to play another down in the NFL, but when the call came, he answered and he accepted the invite. Now, the, the Dolphins, um, well, I mean, they started out pretty good, struggling a little bit, in the second half of the season, they're not looking for the perfect center because he's probably playing for somebody else right now. (laughs) What they needed was somebody who was willing to play, willing to say yes and accept the call and get back on the field. Like Jonathan, Mary was just going about her day. Everything was the same. Her life was pretty plain when she got the call from God, and she didn't back down either. Mary, I think, recognized that God wasn't looking for perfect. God was looking for a partner. And we see that throughout Scripture. From the the time he brings up Adam and and Eve, and he says, I want you to, to be my partners in caring for this creation that I have made. And when he calls Abraham, he says the same thing. I want you to be my partner in in sharing about me to the rest of the world. And when he enters into the marriage covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, he says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests to minister to the rest of the world that everybody might hear and come to know me as God. And I was thinking about you and I, When, when we talk about our faith or we, we talk about our spiritual journey, I think 99% of the time when we think about that, we think in terms of uh, like somebody says, How, how's it going? How's your, how's your faith doing? You know, what's your walk with Jesus like? And then 99% of the time we start out like, well, it could be better, right? Like, well, I've, I've done some things that I'm, I'm not proud of. Well, I, I knew I should have done this the other day and then I, I didn't, or I'd really like to do, but I haven't. When we talk about our faith so often, we talk in terms of the negative, the things we've missed, the things we didn't get, the things we didn't do, the things we tried and then feel like we, we failed at. We seem to be always looking at the negative things and when that happens, when we focus on all the ways that we've messed up and we've missed out, I think what happens is we begin to miss more of the opportunities that God presents to us. So today in part three of our series, Hope is Here, we're gonna look at how similar Mary's story is to ours. And and we'll learn from her how to be ready when God calls us. 
So we're gonna jump into Luke chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse 26. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And it's really interesting to me because um, Luke packs a, a lot of detail into these first two verses of this, this story. Like we know who it is and where it is and she's gonna betrothed to this jo guy named Joseph. Like when you begin to check the boxes off of this thing, you know that when you've checked them all, you've got the right person. Like he narrows it down. This is who you're looking for. Gabriel, this is who you're gonna go see. And so we have kind of a lot of information in these first two verses, but the truth is we know almost nothing about Mary and Joseph. Like they pop up on the scene in, in the Bible, they show up in the story, and we know virtually nothing about them. We know the names of their parents and grandparents back generations because both Luke and Matthew in their gospels are gonna record the genealogies, one of Joseph and one of Mary, and they're gonna go all the way back to the really most important part of, of their story and their ancestry, and that is David. And uh, kind of interesting that both Mary and Joseph, their lines end with the same guy, D David, the king, uh, once king of, of Israel. But the truth is nobody now, at this point in Israel's history, nobody cares about David anymore. They've forgotten about him. He's, he's passed into legend. His, his kingly line is broken. In fact, it was broken so badly and the people, people by the time uh, David's generations got and his line fell from, from grace, the people hated David's line. The kings were so bad and they had, they had walked away from God so far that the nation just kind of crumbled and nobody wanted to talk or hear about David anymore. Nobody cared that Mary and Joseph came from the kingly line of David. We really don't know anything else uh, about them. It's, it's very, very little. We, we know, well, we assume, I guess the right way to say that, that Mary was probably in her teens, 12, 13, 14 years old, because that in the culture of the day was the typical age that a young woman, virgin woman would marry. We assume that Joseph was older than, than Mary, maybe five or 10 or 15 years older, because again, in that time, in that culture, in that situation, that was the normal thing to happen. An older man would marry a younger girl. That was just the way it worked. But, but I think the point that we're getting to is that we know nothing. There's nothing remarkable about how this story of Mary and Joseph begins. Mary is no one special. Joseph is, is, is probably just an average guy. We, we know that he works as a carpenter and probably he works as a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter and probably his grandfather was a carpenter and his, and his great-grandfather was a carpenter. That's usually how it worked um, back then. We're told really nothing about Joseph's family except that we know in a short time when Mary is found to be pregnant and it's not by Joseph, they're going to tell Joseph to leave her, to divorce her. Maybe they're going to even urge him to take her before the Sanhedrin and have her be killed just to vindicate him and his family. 
We know even less about Mary and, and her life. Aside from her lineage back to this guy named David that nobody cared about, we're told nothing about her family. But all we know is that Mary is nowhere special, no one special from nowhere special, and she's marrying no one significant. There's, there's nothing special about the story. If you were reading this story and you didn't know the outcome, you'd go, why are these two characters here? Why are they included in Scripture? And I think that's the point. I think we're, we're supposed to go, why? Why are these two here? There's nothing going on in their life. There's not, like They're just plucked from obscurity. And, and then you begin to th think back in the story to the Old Testament, the stories you've heard, and you've gone, well, but isn't that the way God typically works? Like, like he called Abraham, and Abraham was nobody before God called him. He called this guy in Judges named Gideon, and Gideon was nobody from a nobody family when, when God called him. Like over and over and over again in Scripture, God calls these people who, who are nobody, to be included in this story that he's writing. And, and, and it becomes this incredible story with a really, really odd beginning. And, and so we get this idea that to be a partner in God's story, you don't have to be excelling at everything. You just have to be willing. Like that's what God is, is looking for. He's not looking for these perfect people who've got it all together and all figured out and they come from the perfect family and there's no issues. Like so often God is calling these people who've been messed up and they're nobody and it's nothing special. And then he calls them to do these great things. Like you don't have to be excelling spiritually. You just have to be willing. And so I find it equally interesting that in scripture, we're not told that um, like Mary uh, reads her Bible every day, that Gabriel showed up when Mary was praying for her second hour. We don't know if she served in the kids ministry uh, on the Sabbath or if she was a good cook and like always helped out with, with things. We're not told that she never gossiped and she always was kind hearted to everybody. We know nothing about this young Jewish girl from an obscure village in the middle of nowhere, far from the home of the Jewish God who lived in the temple in Jerusalem. She's, she's from this town called Nazareth. And, and we're gonna find out when Jesus begins his ministry that, the, that the, the statement of the day was, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the town she was from. This is a nobody girl from nowhere and nobody cared about it. And we don't yet know in the story of Mary as it begins why God sent this special angel to this simple girl. But he does and he's got big plans for her. So let's go on to the next verse, verse 28. Here's what it says. Uh, the angel Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You ever had one of those greetings, somebody say something, and you're, and you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out what exactly do they mean? Like they said this, but I really feel like they mean this. I think um, in marriage it's called passive-aggressive. 
And so, you know, we say that one thing, but we really mean something else. And so Mary hears this statement from this angel. And she's trying to figure out what it means. And, and the angel just says what the angel always says. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, Mary is called favored one. And I, I wonder, is, is she called favored one because of what she's done already in her young life? Is she called favored because she did read her Bible and she did serve and she did pray and she did give alms to the poor and she did all those. Is that why she's favored? Is she favored because of what she's going to do? Like, like God knows the rest of the story and so she's favored because he knows how she's gonna respond and, and, and she's gonna act. Maybe she's favored simply because like God himself is extending this personal invitation for Mary to be his partner in the story of redemption that he's writing. Maybe she's favored just because she gets to play a part in that. Or I wonder if maybe God didn't tell Gabriel to say that at all. Maybe God said, okay, Gabriel, you, you got to take this message down to Mary and, and you got to hit these, these bullet points here. And as long as you get that, like you, whatever you, else you want to add, like you can say it in your own, your, your own voice. Maybe God didn't even tell Gabriel to say that. Maybe Gabriel just came up with this opening line like all by himself. He's got down, he's like, well, I got to say something. I got, I got to, I got to kind of introduce myself somehow. And so how am I going to get in to what God wants me to say? And so maybe Gabriel considers Mary favored simply because we know that Gabriel stands in the presence of God. And if God sent him to Mary, there's got to be a special reason. And so maybe she's favored simply because of who God chose to bring her this message. We don't know. And neither did Mary, because she was troubled. She didn't understand. Like Gabriel says nine words to her, and already she's going, what in the world does this mean? And, and Gabriel doesn't really answer her. I mean, he tells her not to be afraid, but is that really an answer? I, there's a lot of you who are parents out here. How often does that work? When your child is terrified and you say, don't be afraid. Does, does that work? And they go, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna stop crying. I'm gonna stop, stop being afraid. It doesn't work for any of us. Let, let, can I, let me tell you something. I'm gonna give you a secret. Tell you a secret. I don't do roller coasters. And for those of you who, are do, you, who do, you crazy. Because you're going to die. On the, that, that, the, I, I, the most terrifying thing I could think of in, in, that I would subject myself to is a stupid roller coaster. I have no idea why anybody, I don't know why they exist. Absolutely ridiculous. And guess what? Every single person tells me when they find out I don't do roller coasters. Don't be afraid. It's fine. You can do it. No, I can't. And I won't. 
I will never know if I can handle a roller coaster because I will never go on one because I am not stupid and I don't have a death wish. I want to be around for stuff. It's not, it's not going to happen. It doesn't, saying don't be afraid doesn't work. And so Gabriel doesn't really give Mary an, an answer. He, he just says, don't be afraid. And then he begins to get into all the stuff that God wanted him to, to tell her. He like gets right to the point. You're, Mary, look, you're going to bear a son and he'll be God's son. And, and, and he is going to, to fill the throne. He's going to sit on the long forgotten throne of your ancestor, David. And you're gonna have a king once again, but he's not gonna be a king like David and Solomon and his, and, and, and his prodigy. He's not gonna be like those kings who failed miserably. His kingdom, when he ascends to the throne, that kingdom will never come to an end. We go, by the way, do you know why David's kingdom ended? I mean, David was a pretty good king. I mean, he did, some, he did some shady things, but he was a pretty good, good king. And, and David, it, it says in scripture, David had found favor with God. He had a relationship with God. And Solomon, man, he, he messed up too, but, but he did pretty good as a, as a king. The nation enjoyed uh, uh, wealth and prosperity uh, among the nations of the world, more than any other kingdom probably in the world before or since. And, and, and then it started getting bad. And, and, and it would say, uh, if, you, if you read the story of the kings that came after David in his line, they just went from bad to, to worse. And so this king would rise up and he would be worse than the one before him. And, and they were supposed to be partners with God. And, and instead they began to actually fight against what God was trying to accomplish in the world. Instead of being partners, they became enemies of what God was trying to do. But this new king, Gabriel says, marry, marry this, this king that you are going to, to bear, he will not fail where those before him had. And because of that, his kingdom will, will never end. And all of that is like, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. In fact, we read the story and we're like, wow, that's amazing. But if you were a 12 or 13 or 14 year old virgin girl in Jerusalem or in Nazareth at the time, you would not think it was very cool. What Gabriel just said is crazy. And, and there's lots of stuff going on and lots of stuff swimming through your head. And so Mary is still greatly troubled and the angel has given her no reason why she shouldn't be troubled. Like this is all big and stuff. And so she does what anyone I think would do in her situation. She, she asks a question. She asks this question. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now it's a really interesting um, line the, the interesting question, interesting lying in the story, because if you go back to the beginning of chapter one in, in, in Luke's uh, writing here, you read about this guy named Zechariah who asked almost the same question as, as Mary does. Now, you, you, gotta, you gotta know the story. Zechariah is actually Mary's uncle, cousin, 
think us cousin. And uh, Zechariah is a priest in the line of Aaron. So um, God rescues Israel from Egypt and Moses is the guy that he partners with to do that. And Moses has a brother named Aaron and Moses is the leader of the people and Aaron becomes the first high priest. And in order to be a priest in the temple and serve in the temple and to be the high priest and to be the guy that goes behind the curtain and makes the offering once a year, uh, on the atonement seat of the Ark of the Covenant, you have to be a high priest in the line of Aaron. You have to be a direct descendant of Aaron. And not only is Zechariah a direct descendant of Aaron, his wife Elizabeth is a direct descendant of, of Aaron, both sides of his family. And Zechariah is serving in the temple and it was his day to, to put the incense on the altar and he goes in to do that. And while he's there, this same angel, this guy named Gabriel, shows up in the temple. Now, if God is going to show up, if he's going to send a representative, you would kind of expect that representative to show up in the temple or at the temple because that's where God's presence was supposed to be. And so Zechariah is serving in the temple and this angel shows up and Zechariah like freaks out. And Gabriel says to Zechariah almost the same thing he says to, to Mary. He says, hey, Zechariah, um, your wife Elizabeth is going to give birth to a son and, 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 and you're gonna call his name John. And, and it's like, Mary is young and she's a virgin. Elizabeth is old, like, like ancient old, very old and barren. They have tried, like she is not a virgin, but they have tried and tried and tried, practiced and practiced, and it has not made perfect. They have not been able to conceive. And so we have these two women on opposite sides of this um, spectrum. And, 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 and Gabriel says, Zechariah, your wife's going to become pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. You're going to call him John. And, and Zechariah asked this question. He says, how will I know this since I am old and, and so is my wife. Now, a couple things as we look at these two, two statements here. Um, Luke makes a point to mention two times in the opening verses 26 and 27 of Luke chapter, chapter one, when we're first introduced to Mary, he's like, hey, Mary's a virgin. <laughs> Mary's a virgin. I just want you to know. Thank you, Trent. Uh, Mary's... <laughs> That one's gonna make it on the reel. Uh, Mary's a virgin, like he's making a point to let us know this condition that she is in. She's a virgin. Um, and he's like, hey, you know the virgin named Mary who's engaged to, to Joseph. And then when Mary asks Gabriel the question, like how is this gonna happen? She says, how is this gonna happen? Because I'm a, a virgin, like I've never been with a man. So how am I gonna conceive and give birth, and, and we would go, that's a legitimate question for a young girl in the middle of nowhere who this uh, angel appears to and says, hey, you're gonna get pregnant. How is this going to happen? But um, Zechariah's question is similar to Mary's, but it's very, very different. Because what Zechariah is really saying is, is not... Um, how is God going to do this? What Zechariah says is, how is God going to prove this? How will I know that Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and have a child in her old age? That's what Zechariah is. Mary is saying, mechanics, how is this going to happen? 
because I'm a virgin. And Zachariah's going, how are you going to prove this to me? Because I don't believe it. The other thing I think we need to remember is that um, Mary is a young, simple, innocent Jewish girl. Zechariah is old and, and haggard. He's a priest in the line of, of Aaron. He is serving literally in the temple, feet away from the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was supposed to exist. Like Zechariah should have known better than to demand a sign from God. I actually was listening to a, a podcast, Marty Solomon, this last week, and he said something that I really thought was cool. He said, he said, God has infinite grace and mercy for those people who are just trying to figure it out. For those of us in, in church, we're just like, we're, we're, we're trying to look like Jesus. We're trying to do the right things. And, and we're failing and, and we're falling and we're not getting it right, but we want to. We desire to do the right thing. We desire to look like Jesus. And so we're trying to stay on the path. We're trying to get it right. And, and, and Marty says, God has infinite grace and mercy for people who are giving it their best shot and just trying to do the right thing, even though they're failing. But when we look at the story in scripture, who does God have kind of a short wick for? Who does God kind of get irritated with? It's those people who think they've got it all figured out. God has infinite grace and mercy for the people who are just screwing up and messing up and not getting it right, but trying. And he runs out of patience for those people who think they've got it all right and so they don't care anymore. Mary asks for bullet points. Gabriel, can you tell me how God is going to accomplish this? Because, because I'm a virgin. I don't understand how he's going to do that. And Zechariah asks for proof. How are you going to prove this to me? And so Gabriel gives Zechariah proof. Gabriel says, okay, you want proof, Zechariah? Here's the proof. You're going to be mute. You're going to be unable to speak until your son is is born and you see that God is, is able to accomplish all that he has said. There's your proof, jerk. Gabriel probably didn't call him that. Um, but but you, he was thinking it probably. Uh, and so he's like, you, like, Zechariah, you're supposed to know. You're supposed to be the priest. This should have excited you and you don't get it. And so you're not gonna be able to speak until your child is born. But to, to Mary, Gabriel gives the bullet points. Here's what he said. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, point one. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, point two. The child to, to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. Those are the bullet points. And then he gives her proof. Look at what he says next. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. It's pretty cool to me that Mary doesn't demand proof, but Gabriel gives it to her anyway. He gives her the bullet points, and then he says, just because you ask in this way, I'm gonna give you proof as well. Go see Elizabeth. Miraculous conception, miraculous conception on opposite ends of the age spectrum. I just think it's really cool that God does that. And, and look at what else he's, he says, because I, I haven't noticed this in the, in the past. He says, your cousin Elizabeth also 
has conceived, which means what? Mary, you're already pregnant. Isn't that wild? Like, I never realized that. Because you read the story, I think we read the story and we go, okay, at some point, uh, the, the Holy Spirit overshadows her and, 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 and God does that. Gabriel's like, no, Mary, all of that stuff I just told you two and a half seconds ago, already done. Because why? Because nothing is impossible with God. That's how these two miraculous conceptions can occur because nothing is impossible with God. And so we gotta re remember, we gotta pay attention to what Mary says next because remember, she's already pregnant. Like, by the way, what that means in the story is she's not getting out of it, right? Like, <laughs> Mary, this is what's gonna happen, already started. You're already pregnant, hold on, because this is happening, whether you want it to happen or not, this is gonna happen. And here's what Mary says, verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think this right here, what we read in verse 38, this is why God sent Gabriel all the way to this obscure village and this unknown woman to find this specific virgin girl pledged to be married to that guy named Joseph because God knew that when he called her number, she'd commit. And she'd go, okay, I'm in. And she'd be like some of those ancient guys Abraham, who said, okay, God, I don't know where you're going to take me, but I'm along for the ride. I'm going to be your partner. Let's go. Now, I was working on the message. I, I was thinking about this. And so I came up with this short list, like kind of just right off the top of my head of, of guys who God asked to be partners. Guys in the biblical story, Old Testament, who, uh, and, and one new, who, who said, hey, I, dude, I want you to do this. I want you to be my partner in this story. Um, and, and a short, short list, there's, pro, there's lots more, but um, Moses, right? God, God calls Moses when he's out in the uh, desert of Midian. Um, Gideon, I mentioned him earlier, he's a, he's, a, he's a nobody when God finds him. Elijah, the prophet, there's a whole bunch of stuff written in the Old Testament. Elijah does some pretty incredible things God called him to do. Jonah, this guy named Barak, he, he was a general in the Israeli army um, when Deborah was a judge. And, and then this guy named Ananias in the New Testament. Ananias is the guy who baptizes Paul, who was Saul. And, and all of those guys, when God calls them, all of them say, no, thank you. God says, hey, I, I wanna do this incredible thing with you. I wanna partner with you and I wanna accomplish this great big thing in the world. And they've all got reasons why God's got the wrong guy and it's the wrong time. And I got all these things going on. And look, God, my schedule's really busy. Lance was talking about that. I got all kinds of things to do. I don't have time for this story that you're writing. Or, or for Jonah, he just flat out said, no, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't think you should rescue those guys in Nineveh. I think you just let them die. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. They've all got reasons why they said no to God when he extended the offer to partner. But Mary says, let it be to me as you have said. She just goes, okay, God, 
whatever. I, I, and, and so th- think about this for a minute. Gabriel shows up to, to Mary. He just, like, he just pops in the room. I, I don't know. We're not told how it happens, but he's just, he's just like there. Like when Gabriel shows up to, to Zechariah, Zechariah is about his work and he's being really careful. He's being really um, particular about what he's doing. And then all of a sudden he realizes there's an angel standing there. And, and we don't know how Gabriel showed up to, uh, to Mary, but, but, but he did. At some point, in, in some way, in some fashion, he shows up and he greets her and he says, favored one, oh, favored one. But what does the favor of God mean in Mary's situation? Now, Mary didn't know what was gonna happen. I think Mary probably had a very different view of how being the queen mother of the king whose kingdom will never end. I think she had a very different view of how that was gonna go. But we have the benefit of looking back on the story and seeing what actually happened. So what does the favor of God mean in Mary's situation? Well, for Mary, it, it meant your baby is going to be born in disgrace. A child with no no father. You, you clearly cheated on, on Joseph. Your child will be seen as a disgrace. Your family could and probably did reject her, both Joseph's side and Mary's side of the, of the family. Your fiance, by the way, could turn you over to the Sanhedrin and have you killed so that he looks better. Everybody knows he didn't do it. Your labor and delivery will take place alone in a strange place with no family and no friends and no loved ones uh, around. It'll be dangerous and difficult. After you give birth to this child, you're going to marry Joseph, your betrothed, the one you're supposed to marry. Your parents arranged that. You're going to do it, but nobody's going to be at the wedding, and the wedding's probably going to be done in haste, and nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to come. Nobody's going to give you a present. Your husband, by the way, is gonna die young. I think there's lots of reasons in scripture to, to make that statement. Oh, and by the way, this son that the God is gonna give you is gonna be king. Everybody's gonna think he's crazy because of what he says. And the only people who are gonna follow him are like scoundrels and people that nobody else wants to follow. To everyone else, your life is gonna look like a mess. Nobody's gonna get it. Nobody's going to believe you. Nobody's going to be on your side. And in the end, this, this son, this son of God, would be the savior of the world and sit on the throne of his father, David. He will be publicly shamed and tortured and ridiculed and murdered to the cheers and applause of your friends and your countrymen. Like this doesn't sound like favor to me. It sounds like torture. And I think it's part of why God's not looking for those who are excelling in life and in their spiritual journey, but he's looking for the willing. And I think he's looking for the willing over those who are excelling because those who are excelling expect good things from God. I'm doing the right things. I'm going the right way. 
God, I expect blessing from you. But God often calls us to the hard, not the heroic. God often asks us to trust, not to understand. God is looking for partners in this crazy story that he is writing, and he's not looking for perfect people because they don't get it, and they're not gonna follow. And so God wants us to be willing. We don't have to be wonderful. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to always do the right thing and always say the right thing and always think the right thing. And we don't have to be perfect because we have a God who is. We have a God who said, don't worry about being perfect. I've got the perfect part handled. I just need you to be my partner on the planet. And so the story of Mary helps us see that our mess doesn't disqualify us from God's mission. Your mess doesn't disqualify you from God's mission. And the reality is you may have messed up big this week. You may have blown it. And maybe that's why you're here this morning because you're like, oh, I need Jesus. I went off. I did this. I thought this. I said that I did that. Our mess doesn't disqualify us from God's mission because God knows the perfect aren't gonna be involved in it anyway. The perfect people in the story, we looked at this over the last couple weeks, the perfect people in Israel, the people who thought they had it all together, they totally missed Jesus. If you're not willing though to partner with him, how can you fully participate in the story that he's writing? Like God doesn't care about your mess. You can have a messy life and you can still be on mission with God, but if you're not willing to partner, if you're not willing to be his partner and, God, and, and say, okay, God, you handle the perfect part and I'll just do the other stuff. If we're not willing to partner with him, how can we participate in this bigger story that he's writing? And so Mary's story and lots of others in scripture like it remind us that your struggle won't stop God. Whatever it is you're struggling with, and it's a recurring struggle, maybe. This is something you keep coming back to and back to you. And you're gonna, I'm never gonna do that again, and then you do it again. I'm never gonna do that again, and you do it again. Your struggle's not gonna stop God from using you. And your sin doesn't surprise him. God doesn't ever go, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. Like he's God, he knows already. He knows the message you're gonna make long before you you make them. And he's still like, look, I'm not looking for perfect. I'm just looking for partners. Your sin doesn't surprise him. And your situation, it doesn't scare him off. Because like Mary, everybody else might look at your situation and go, that's a mess. <laughs> and God's going, yeah, it's a mess, but, but I'm using them for my mission. Because they're just partners with me. And I'm just using them. We're just doing this together. We're just walking through this together. And so it's gonna be okay. Not because you're perfect, but because you just go, okay, God, I'm gonna partner with you and you got all that I have. It's not much, but here it is, God. God doesn't need you to be perfect. God didn't need Mary to be perfect or, or Moses or Elijah. He just needs partners. 
He just needs partners. And, and Jesus came and he brought hope and he brought life to the world to be the light, not to say you have to be perfect, but to just say, hey, hey, everybody, God's looking for partners. And if you wanna be a partner with God, you be a partner with me and that's how you get in the door. And then we can write this story with God together. So maybe, maybe we need to not be so hard on ourselves. And maybe when somebody asks how our spiritual life is going and how you doing and how's your journey and what's going on, we can talk about how good and faithful God is instead of how messed up we are. Maybe we can go, hey, you know, look, God, God's, God's got this. And I, I'm just like, I'm doing my best to follow him wherever he leads, whatever he wants me to do. I'm just here and I don't have a lot, but he's got the rest. And so here I am. I'm like the sixth man on the basketball team. I just come in when I'm needed. God's got the rest handled. All I got to do is play my part to be a partner with God in the story that he's writing. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for inviting us in to be partners into your story. And, and God, thank you that we don't have to be perfect because we try, like we, we try and man, we fail, but we try and we keep getting it wrong. And so um, God, we just thank you for being this good God who makes up what we miss out on. And you don't need us to be perfect in every situation and everything we do and everything we say. You just need us to be willing to be partners with you and to do what we can do. And we mess up to get back up and to try again. And then you're gonna fill in all the stuff that we, that we mess up and that we miss. You're gonna fill all that in because you knew ahead of time. We don't surprise you with the way that we mess up. You knew, you had a way, you just call us to be partners. And God, when we're faithful to follow you, you're gonna take care of everything else. And so thank you for the story of Mary and Joseph and their life and the mess that it caused because it gives us hope that we can be a part of the story like she was when we just step into it and follow you. Thank you, God, for loving us. Be with us this week in Jesus' name.